Well, it's turning out to be another beautiful day, and this is the Kevin Prendeville Show on Wednesday, June 17th, 2020. Just saying that makes you feel old, doesn't it? It's crazy, and uh, speaking of old, we're going to be talking a little bit about history at the beginning of this for the opening salvo, because I think it's important to understand where we are, and unfortunately where I think we are going. And I don't want to be perceived as saber-rattling or some sort of uh, doomsday predictionist or saying that it's the end of the world as we know it. But if we are not careful, we could be in real trouble. Aside from that, we also have some financial news and your financial lesson for the day. This is the Kevin Prendeville Show. Well, welcome back into the Kevin Prendeville Show. This is the segment known as the opening salvo. It's your food for thought. It's your first fire of the day, and it sets the tone for the rest of the show. And I want to begin pretty far back, at a time that I'm sure has been forgotten by many, just after the Napoleonic Wars, and just before a period of time in Europe known as the springtime of nations. So this period is about 1821 to 1838 or around 1840. It depends on which country uh, you live in, kind of varies the time frame. But the idea was, after the Napoleonic War, was that all of this momentum that had been gained by the liberal ideas, and I mean liberal in the old sense of the world, that the liberal in the sense of the democratic ideas, liberal in the sense of the anti-monarchist movement that had swept across Europe during the Napoleonic Wars, that after the defeat of Napoleon, the victors, the, the coalition, could essentially turn the clock back the way it was and by instilling monarchists back to their old positions that everything would quiet down and everyone would forget about this democracy idea, about this Republican ideals, about the the new ideas that had spread across Central Europe, led in no small part by Napoleon himself. And the lead man for this movement and political hope, I guess that's the best word for it, was Austrian Prime Minister Clemens von Metternich. And we'll call him Metternich from now on. There was a faction, not only in Austria, but in circles and aristocratic circles uh, in Europe, that Metternich was right, that if you just undid the laws that were put in place by the French Revolution, if you just put the leaders back in the places they should be, that the clock would turn back and everything would be right in Europe, that old orders would be restored and that the people would just go back about their daily lives. But I think the old quote by Voltaire defines this time period well, and that's that nothing is more powerful than an idea whose time has come. And for so long, not only in the academic institutions, but the philosophy even among some nobles had changed, and those who had wealth and the ability to make something of it, those long-standing ideas about tradition and the right of kings and the ideas about how the people should be governed, those really didn't go away, and you wouldn't be able to change those with any law or policy. 
and that over a period of years that the, the fractions that had been created really in society really came to fruition and you saw in 1838 in France you saw uh, Louis the 18th uh, step down peacefully and this was due to the fact that you had a just overwhelming mob of people that were demanding essentially for him to step down and he didn't want to be beheaded like his grandfather Louis the 16th was and so he stepped down and he decided to create the second French Republic and in his place and out of that started a, a movement across that spread across Germany um, that hit uh, Spain parts of Italy got in someone into Austria known as the springtime of nations and this was the idea that all of these nations and people not only wanted to be united in the sense that, which is how it manifested in Germany and actually started the process of creating a unified German state, but also in Italy, it started to create a unified Italian state. In Austria, it started to sow division among um, Serbia, uh, the, uh, the, the Czechs, the Hungarians, the Romanians, all the people that had different national identities started to unite with that identity and then also start to have the idea that they should govern themselves. And it came to, it, it became apparent that no policy or no forced, no action of anybody in power could have ended this. Nobody in power, that this was inevitable. That because the idea of a democratic government was so powerful that the people didn't want it to be let go, and, and the people decided eventually to, to act on it. And it manifested itself, like I said, in many different ways. But my point here is, and what we're seeing in America today, is that there is enough of the population, probably 20, 25, maybe even 30%, who no longer believe in individual rights, who believe that America is a, a, a deeply evil place, who hate everything that they believe America stands for. That they would like to see America be much more radically left. They would want to see it be either communist or some sort of more authoritarian regime. They don't believe in the right of states. They don't believe in the right of the people to choose for themselves. You see this among the nobles. You see uh, journalists that are more activists with the Federalists being taken down from Google. You see people who have made their money in various places, be they athletes or actors or entertainers and, and, and activists, all of these different people who have been radicalized, professors, academics, who are radicalized, lawyers, politicians, who have this idea that America should be much more authoritative than it is. They don't, they don't trust you to make your own decisions. They don't believe you have the right to make your own decisions. They don't believe in the Constitution. And sometimes that's all it takes. Because remember, there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. And this is sad, because we can look at history, or we can look at Russia and Hungary and Poland and Romania and... Uh, Yugoslavia and China 
and Vietnam and uh, Cambodia and uh, Venezuela and Colombia and Cuba and all of these nations that have tried it. And we can look at all of the hundreds of millions of bodies that have piled up because of it. All of the people who were denied their natural rights. All of the people who were denied technological process. Pro progress, excuse me. And we can say this, this doesn't work. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you don't know your history. It doesn't matter if your idea of this utopia is so great that you're willing to sacrifice everything to get it. Because some of these people are, I'm sure. Or they wouldn't be destroying public, pro public and private property. Or they wouldn't be saying the things that they're saying. And in many cases, the politicians condone it. Because they're not doing a thing about it. Maybe there is a silent majority or maybe there isn't. I don't know. But we're getting to the point where no amount of legislation is going to be able to turn the clock back. Because there's enough people on one side that truly believe they can accomplish what they want to accomplish, that have enough people with money and power that believe what they believe. And as we can see, if we look at history, if we look at the revolutions throughout history, even our own founders had money, had influence. You see it in France during the, the multiple French revolutions. It all had to do with people with money that, that eventually led these things. In England, in the revolt against uh, King James I, you had um, Cromwell. You had people with money, influence. Much as the case in many revolutions in South America. So make no mistake, this is a real threat to your rights, to mine, to everybody's, even those who are a part of this movement. It's a threat to their rights. Because, of course, every communist is the same, and Stalin killed many of the people he revolted with. They always do. So it's not only in the best interest of the rest of America, but it's also in the best interest of these people that we adhere to the idea of natural rights. But how are we supposed to do that if we don't even know what they are or why they exist? That's why history is important. And right now we're seeing the manifestation of a country that doesn't even know its own history. We don't know the history of money. We don't know how banks work. We don't know how to make a dime. And that's part of the trouble, I think, in the financial industry. We have philosophies and general premises that drive our economic decisions. But do you have somebody on your side who stands there on principle? That's what I do for my clients. And I know some people in the financial industry that do the same. But I know a heck of a lot of others that just repeat what they've been told. They don't truly believe and live out what they ask their clients to do. And much like the politics of today, that is a problem. That was your opening salvo, your food for thought, and this is the Kevin Prendeville Show. Stay with us.
this is the Kevin Prendeville show. I'm enjoying reading some of the comments here. And um, as always, I encourage you to engage with the show. I, I do take the comments to heart. And from them, I, I, I sometimes uh, will respond to them or create segments around some of the ideas presented. So please don't be afraid to share your ideas. And uh, this segment I'm a little excited to share because it by sure has to do with, with, with finance. But if you didn't need to know that how biased the media is, even on Fox Business, well, here you go. So this article uh, comes at us from Fox Business as uh, stated from uh, Megan Henney. Wealthy Americans stopped spending hampering U.S. economic recovery from coronavirus. Ah, you see, it's not the government's fault. It's those evil rich people who live in the affluent zip codes because there's a Harvard study that tracked uh, credit card uh, spending, you see. And um, essentially it said uh, that in January, the credit card spending on luxury things that had to do with um, you know, theaters and hotels and things that specify that had to do with uh, contact, that spending with wealthier people went through the floor. And they said this is different than other recessions because normally those stay the same. Well, yeah, if you close the businesses, nobody's going to spend money there. It's, it's kind of basic stuff, isn't it? You don't need, you don't need to be in finance to understand that, right? I mean, and then it's funny here because they say um, that uh, that essentially that all of this that it it wouldn't be as a, uh, harmful is it if they just kept spending money. What, you want to throw it at nothing? You can't go to a movie theater. You can't, in some cases, I guess they could stay at a hotel if they wanted to, but but there's nowhere to fly to. <laughs> Everything else is closed. It said, wealthy Americans aren't tightening, and this is a quote from the article, wealthy Americans aren't tightening their purse strings because of a lack of cash. Well, all right, are you sure? Not everybody's completely liquid. Of course, they're throwing that out there, of course, because they want to make them the bad guy. And says, uh, in general, they lost fewer jobs, probably because there are a lot of times they're business owners or, it, you know, it depends. Uh, it says a recent Federal Reserve report found that 40% of the total job losses affect individuals earning less than $40,000. Yeah, because you close their businesses. Either they, they could be a, a tradesman or they work for a tradesman. That those businesses a lot of the times um, were closed. Maybe they worked, you know, at, at, at a restaurant. That's done. Maybe they worked uh, at a hotel or for an airline company. That's closed. Maybe they worked at a call center. Those were closed. Uh, th this isn't hard to, to see who the bad guy is, of course. It's the government. It's the people who came in with the threat of with a, th a threat of jail time and said you got to close your business and the employees suffer this always happens with government policy but of course you can't expect an activist i'm sorry journalist i always get those two mixed up i mean it, it, it's 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 insane but uh, it must be it must be my fault i mean it couldn't be that that journalists have now targeted uh, another company they don't like another story for another day regardless <laughs> they say that the uh, uh, the only path here there's a author to the the study that this activist I'm sorry journalist is uh, reporting on and so the original study that came from Harvard essentially concluded that the only 
path to full economic recovery in the long run was order to would be to restore consumer confidence. Yeah, you know what would do that? Not threatening to close a second um, in lieu of a second wave. That we still have Nashville's only in phase two. They're not going to phase three because they let everybody protest and now there's afraid they're afraid that the spike's happening. And it's not the only city that that's happening in. Um, you know, Massachusetts just got into phase two. Open it up now. We know this thing is a hoax. We've been over this. We know this thing is crushing businesses and economies. We can't float it forever. We went over that in our last economic lesson, financial lesson. And the fact that we don't blame the people whose fault this is, we blame we blame we blame people who are in a way that would be economic uh, that would be politically useful to a certain class. The real problem is you forcibly close the economy. Of course it's going to shut down. Of course there are going to be job losses. Of course people are going to lose money. And of course people who have made a lot of money, who know how, in some cases, know how money works, aren't going to be as affected. And that's not necessarily a problem. That's just the outcome of bad government policy. You know, you look at when they always uh, try minimum wage hikes and then businesses go automated or they just take away the job. It doesn't help anything. And the cost of good goes up. Go uh, goods go up. Same principle. But of course, the way the article is written, they're trying to say that there's some moral outrage that people, again, who either own the businesses or people who have a high enough paying job or a high enough position in a company that the company would lose more money by letting them go than it would retain. Look, that's just business. And we wouldn't be in this situation if the government didn't force us it. It, 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 we wouldn't be here. But, you know, when you get your info from the Chinese and the World Health, Health Organization, of course, it's the same thing, this is where you end up. And that brings us to Mike Pence, and this is the last article for this segment, that uh, he says that essentially that there is, he says that there's going to be no second wave, and the way to uh, restore the U.S. economy is through this infrastructure spending bill. Now, I'm obviously biased towards the right, and especially um, the, the more populist right. But that being said, we should really be cautious here about a $400 billion plan. And I know $400 billion pales in comparison to $7 trillion, but money is money. And again, it's only going to hurt with the interest on the debt. It's only going to hurt with a significantly ha uh, hampered GDP. It's going to hurt with a weakened economy, with a need for an increase in military spending with some of the unfortunate, I think, recent events that are happening either between India and China or Russia and the Middle East. There may be a need for increase in U.S. military spending to counter that. And of course, these nations, these evildoers, China and Russia, could see our, our weakness uh, in dealing with the economic shutdown 
and could be doing, um, you know, we have the issue between China and India and, and the Himalayas, and now with uh, Russia and Syria, that they could be doing this to apply pressure to us on a geopolitical scale in order to force us to spend more on the military, which could further hurt our economy. But, you know, I also think that Mike Pence has got to do his job. It's one of the things that Trump ran on. It's one of the things he's going to get done and get no credit for. And we do need, in some cases, to repair infrastructure. Whether or not it helps the economy, you know, I think it, it will in some cases in the sense that it gives jobs. But, again, one of the biggest lies of the Great Depression is that FDR rescued us from it by spending money. And that's simply not the case. But Mike Pence... Uh, said recently, despite the fact that some networks like to put up maps with lots of red states, the reality is, as of this morning, there are only 11 counties in America that are seeing an acceleration in new cases, and only about 2% of the counties in this country are seeing any significant increases in cases at all. Now that's good, but again, it is the summertime. I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, now, again, with everybody out protesting, it is good that there hasn't been an increase in cases. And hopefully this can be used as evidence to lift these unconstitutional lockdowns. But again, I'm not so sure that the way to get around it is by government spending. With that being said, we will come back with one more financial lesson. That's how we're going to wrap up the day. And we're going to talk about how why taxes are guaranteed to go up and why that may not be effective for your financial plan. Well, welcome back to the last segment of the Kevin Prendeville show. This shouldn't take too much longer before we get you out of here. Might fit in right under the half hour mark. For those of you listening in the car, hope you get where you're going safe. Hope you have a productive day. And if you're coming home listening to us, I hope your day was productive and that you're out there making people proud of who you are and what you stand for. In that same vein, it's important that we understand what we're doing with the money that we earn. Because the money that we do earn is really a representation of the value that we either provide for a company, corporation, or other people. People who do well in business, billionaires, people who make a lot of money, provide a lot of value. Elon Musk and Tesla, they get people from point A to point B every day. They're driving innovation. He himself employs 40,000 people. Buffett and Trump and Kiyosaki and all these people that make hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, have plenty of people that they employ either personally or through their companies and corporations and what they do and what they say matters. And on a smaller scale, if you work for a local company, you're providing a great value to them if you're doing your job right. And for that, they pay you money. That money is a, is a representation of the value they give you. Now, as we age, depending on our job, sometimes we're not able to provide the same value, especially if it's manual labor. And because of that, we're going to need to make sure that we can sustain ourselves. Not only sustain ourselves, but enjoy the fruits of that labor. Or help others 
Some people in retirement, they like to give to charities or they like to join soup kitchens or start non-profits, do other things with the money that they've earned, and they should have the freedom to do that. But they can't if their financial plan fails them. And we just got done talking about a great increase in government spending. We just got done with talking about uh, the $7 trillion in stimulus. We talked about the $400 billion in infrastructure. That's a lot of money. Coupled with the fact that we have people in government who think that people who earn money are bad, morally corrupt, and so politically they want to punish them. Social Security is going to be bankrupt by 2029. That was in the headlines during the early COVID months. That's still a reality that's going to need to be fixed. And we have rampant inflation. That This means two things. One, I believe that it's a guarantee that taxes are going up in the future. And two, because of the, in, the guaranteed nature of inflation through government spending, through the use of modern monetary theory, that safe investments, bonds, slow-growing large company stocks or it might be wiped out by the inflation rate. They may wipe out the gains in some stocks. What does this do? Well, this forces the average investor to be much more aggressive in a mutual fund, in a 401k, and wherever. Now, we can talk about speculation. We can talk about how that hurts the long-term investment strategy. But the fact of the matter is, I think we'd be more effective in mitigating taxes while also outpacing inflation. Because if we believe that taxes are going up, not just now, but in the future, if we believe that taxes are a problem, especially in the future, does it make sense to put money into plans that are tax-deferred? Not only tax-deferred, but more aggressive in the market, and we know that the, during the lifetime of a financial plan, there are between four and five market crashes, if you look at history. Does it make sense to put money at risk in the market in a place that's tax-deferred? And if the answer is no, well, what are some of the alternatives? Now, that's what where I would come in and that's more of a personal discussion because it could be anything from gold to if if your plan is already um, relatively stable. It could be just gold to hedge against inflation. Now that shouldn't be the base of your plan. That should never be the base of your plan. So don't take my words out of context here. That should be part of it, not the base of your plan. But some people will take my words and the, and the knowledge that I am bringing to the table and say, Oh, well, you should buy an insurance product. Make sure it's the right one. You don't. You do not want anything with universal life in the name. I mean, it's no index universal life, IUL, and certainly no VUL, variable universal life, but I don't think many people sell that anymore. And now universal life, that is abbreviated to UL, but my very first mentor, uh, he had a, a great name for it. He said, UL really stands for you lose. The insurance company makes a great amount of money. Uh, you're basically buying term insurance for the your lifetime and you're still in the market. 
do not take my words, do not take the advice that that I of what I'm doing myself, and go out and buy a Universal Life product. And we could get into that, but the point of this segment is to warn you that I believe taxes are are, are coming down the road. High taxes, excessive taxation. So be sure that you're not tax deferring. Start to look for strategies that do not defer your taxes. So that's anything that's tax qualified, that's your qualified plans. Just ask. Your CPA or whoever you're working with might say you're saving X amount on taxes. Ask them. Is it because it's tax deferred? Because you're not really saving a dime if you're deferring taxes to a higher rate. If you're taking a 37%, if you're on the top bracket now, and waiting until it's 44 or 50%, the IRS won in that, not you. And that is the message I want you to take away from today. This has been the Kevin Prendeville Show. We'll see you on Friday, and tomorrow we'll be back with another financial message. 